This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to episode 8 of Total Saints Podcast. My name is Ben Stanfield, host of the podcast, and once again I'm joined by regular guest of the show, Adam Leach from the Southern Daily Echo. Adam, all back safe and sound from Stoke? Yes, Ben, uh, thanks very much. Pretty straightforward trip up and down the motorways, no delays, so that was the best bit. And we saw a goal, a, a goal. So, I mean, grateful for small mercies, it was only the fifth of the season, so um, no win, but... But yeah, a goal, and, and wow, I mean, what a goal. <laughs> <laughs> and was it as windy as we expected it to be? No, but it, was, it, it wasn't It was actually as windy as I thought it was going to be. I thought I might be busting out uh, several layers for the first time this season, maybe even dusting off the scarf. Uh, no, not required at all, actually, just a th- thin jacket weather. It was drizzling uh, pretty much from the moment you got to Stoke to the moment we got about 10 miles away. So that that was fairly typical, but we didn't have too much wind and no, there was no goalkeepers scoring in the first ten seconds. I mean that was obviously a great bonus. So yeah, uh, I, I'm sure it was a lovely day out for everybody who went. We're running out of excuses rapidly, really, then aren't we? So um, there yeah. we go. Um, <laughs> in this episode, we're going to talk about yet another frustrating defeat, as we've just mentioned there. This time at Stoke, which as many fans, myself included, seemingly asked the same questions that they have been for the last few months. We're also going to look ahead to the Newcastle home game after the international break. So without any further ado, let's get on with episode eight of the podcast and our news, reviews and previews section. The Stoke game then, Adam. We both predicted 1-1. For a moment, I thought we were actually going to be right. And then I was I was actually driving home and my eye watched pinged and I looked and it said Croucher's score, which was obviously very disappointing. But it looked like it might finish that way um, for, for you know the last sort of 10 minutes of the game. Saints seemed to play fairly well once they scored and obviously were, were chasing. But yet again, defeat from the jaws of sort of something positive. What did you make of the game overall? Yeah, I thought I thought one all was going to happen as well, actually. And, and when we're in the... Um 
press room quite often we'll we'll say you know obviously we'll be chatting with each other people who watch saints every week in there and we'll say oh what do you think today and we'll have a chat about the game and about the, the general circumstances that saints are in or you know, week to week and uh then i predict as people say what do you think oh, i think maybe one all today i think a draw and then the team sheets come out and quite often we say again or oh, what do you think now because obviously sometimes there can be something in there you don't expect i, like, I still think one all and so when Yoshida equalised. I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to nail this prediction this week. Got this one in the bank. Uh, couldn't see Stoke scoring again, the way the momentum of the game had gone. But, yeah, very, very disappointing. Two uh, incredibly soft goals to concede. Fortunate, obviously, that, that Stoke didn't uh, score the penalty. Great save from, from Fraser Forster. Uh, disappointing result, I think, really. Um, again, it was, it was a little bit like Man United in that you that it wasn't without its positives and there were some some good uh, spells of action in there i mean stoke did contribute to some of that because it was it was bizarre really actually i, I think we probably all suspected that maybe the first half might be uh or sorry probably the majority of the game might be um uh, stoke might keep it fairly scrappy it might be fairly defensive not not heaps of chances but actually it was very very open in the first half and stoke were were pretty pretty sharp going forward as well, and and Saints had struggled to handle Shakiri getting between the lines all afternoon. They just couldn't really deal with him. Um, and then having got the one nil lead, missed the penalty. Uh, Stoke came out for the second half with I, I think <laughs> incredibly um, for me anyway what seemed like negative tactics. I mean they they did just sat very very deep. They put everybody behind the ball and they almost they just gave Saints the ball. I mean Saints just had almost complete possession. You've never seen a team really have so much of the ball. Stoke didn't show any ambition to even try and keep the ball very much, to be blunt. And uh, Stoke had just taken this gamble that effectively Saints weren't going to break them down, which I guess on the balance of how many goals they scored this season might, might have been a fair gamble to take. But obviously that meant all the momentum was Saints, was with Saints. And, and you know what it's like when you get into that mindset when you're playing, of you're either really defensive or you're really attacking to to just turn it on and off like a switch or, or you know like a tap is is almost impossible so i thought when saints did equalize i was really at that point fairly chipper that they for their prospects of, of maybe going on to win it because they looked like they had all the momentum behind them at that stage so to end up surrendering that and coming away with uh, a defeat made it a pretty disappointing afternoon i'd say 21 shots three on target it's the same old story from the last 12 months, isn't it? Constantly, over and over again, we just don't take them. And, and then we give away cheap goals, as you said there. How many times has that happened over the last 12 months? So we, we just don't seem to learn from our mistakes, whoever is the manager, whoever's playing. If I can take one positive, at least I'm encouraged that they're creating chances because there has been a few times when, when they haven't actually created, I don't think, all that much. At least they, there were chances to create, uh, chances to, to potentially take, which they didn't take. It does feel a little bit like a stuck record, doesn't it? Because it is the same problems over and over again. And I just come back to the, the point that I've made before, that everybody's going to have their own opinion on this. But is this the manager? And by the manager, I mean two successive managers now who've had this problem. Or is this that Saints don't have the right players they require 
to change this problem? Would it would it be the same if you put Mourinho in charge or, or Guardiola? Would they still be struggling to score because they don't have the players to score the goals? Now, everybody's going to have their own view and opinion on on that and their own take on it, but it, it does begin to look like a bit of a coincidence. I can't believe that both Claude Puel and Pellegrino are completely useless. I mean, everybody wants to tell you that Puel was completely useless, but his track record didn't suggest that uh, as a manager. And uh, actually, maybe he got more out of, out of that squad than, than we kind of, well, some people certainly gave him credit for. The problems are continuing, and it's, it is the same thing, and it's very, very frustrating. But what is the answer? I, I don't have the answer. I mean, there's obviously the potential of formation change, which, we, which we've touched upon before, and I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more as we go on. Um, there's personnel change, but it's, it's the same players that are missing the chances. I mean, look at yesterday. Okay, there were a few chances spread around the team, but when you look particularly at your uh, strikers and, and your attacking players in terms of scoring goals, Redmond missed a fairly good chance, Long missed a couple of good chances, and right at the death, uh, Gabby Adini missed a good chance. It didn't even look like a miss because he didn't even make contact with the ball. Uh, but it was a good chance, nonetheless, that, that he had when, when Bertrand cut back from the left byline. And so this is this is going this is running through the squad now. This isn't just I don't think one or two players. The question is, is this uh, an ability-based thing, or I, I I tend to think probably not. So I'm wondering whether this is more of a mental block now. Uh, people may say and argue that it started under Claude in a more negative way of playing, but whatever it is, it does it does feel a little bit like it's in their heads as well as well as their bodies now, which is a worrying uh, trend. And uh, but how you get around that, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't see them every day on the training pitch like the manager does. Is something that he's got to get to grips with. He's in there with them every day. He needs to find a way to instill some confidence in them. And I, I don't, I don't know. That's not an easy thing to do. And I, I don't, I don't know how he goes about doing it, but it's quite obvious. It's something that he needs to do. Looking at the positives, my Yoshida again, stepping up, he's come on leaps and bounds. as I think we've discussed before over the last sort of 12 to 24 months, certainly one of those players. That I think if you had a 11 my Yoshida's in the team at the moment, you'd certainly feel that you were getting hundred percent out of that team in terms of effort, which I think we've, we've spoken about before. Isn't always the case. Let, let's focus on the positive. As we mentioned, a goal, I mean, some finish for a centre-back. Yeah, put him up front. <laughs> it's a, well, it, was a, it was an incredible finish, really. I mean, it's all out of nowhere from Maya, but uh, it just goes to prove that it can be done. Goals, it's possible to score. It is, it's, not, it's not beyond the realm's possibility. I mean, Pellegrino said after the game, oh, it's very difficult in modern football to create chances and to score them. And I, I, I get where he was coming from with that, but it, people, teams do score goals more you know score more goals than Saints do it is possible to do I, I just think uh, they need to they need to be a lot more positive in their mindset if they can and, and Maya's a good example of somebody who's really made the most of everything that he's got um, it was interesting to see obviously with Virgil returning yesterday to the starting lineup that it was Maya who stayed in and Wesley who to uh, dropped out. And I, I think that was probably good management because I must admit, I was pondering uh, Van Dyke's return uh, before the game and thought to myself, blimey, what, I'm not sure what sort of message that would have sent out to uh, to some of the, the squad had 
it been Wesley Hoot and Van Dyke that would have gone kind of straight back in as the first choice pairing, because you'd have then said, well, what price loyalty, really? Yoshida and Stevens, two guys who have worked tirelessly, not caused any problems, stepped into the breach and did great at the end of last year. And then the, 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 the loyalty coming back. Uh, and we talk an awful lot from Saints about how how you, know, you should expect loyalty from these players. But what loyalty, what price loyalty when it's Saints making the decisions then? What price loyalty to Jack Stevens at the moment? What price loyalty to Maya Yoshida when you've spent, you go and spend a lot of money on one centre half and you put in another one who's been actively trying to get out of the club for goodness knows how long. So I think it was a good move to keep miring because I think that, that that sent a more uh, positive message. And uh, I think that with with Wesley there, I'm beginning to sense that there's there's more of a possibility of us seeing a formation change at some point, which I, I would guess would be three at the back, given their their strength, because they could still then play uh, three in the middle and then get two strikers into the team. I'm sure they wouldn't play as a flat two, but they could get two strikers in the team. And you've got two fullbacks who are who are well suited to being wingbacks. And I wonder, now we've gone this far and sticking with it hasn't worked, whether this is something that we might see when they return after the break. Just before we talk about the formation, you mentioned Van Dyke there. Obviously, it was his return to the team. In terms of the penalty, he obviously gave that away, and I think a lot of fans have been frustrated, as, as they will do. They're obviously going to jump on lots of things, all of us, and he didn't look you know, overly bothered about giving the penalty away. I'm sure he was inside, but what, what did you make of his performance? I mean, obviously, it's going to take him a bit of time to get back to proper Premier League match fitness, I imagine. It was, to be honest with you, it was kind of what I expected to see in that there were obvious signs of class. I mean, he made two or three fantastic uh, last-ditch challenges, interventions, whatever you want to call it. Excellent. Really, really good. And that was really as a result of, of his exceptional reading of the game, which we know, all know about. And, and so that class is permanent, obviously, and that hadn't gone away. But he was rusty. And he wasn't particularly sharp. His, uh, normally, we associate him with very good ball distribution. Actually, it was a little bit wayward yesterday. He obviously got completely done for the penalty, and that was a sort of a, or a desperate move to just pull uh, Paul Berahino down like he did in the box. So that, that was, to me, that was not lack of desire or lack of interest. That's just lack of games, and, and that is going to be a factor for him for a little while. He, is, he might be, on paper, Saints' best player, but we probably can't expect him to really shine like Saints' best player for until he's got you know, a little run of games under his belt. And he's got this international break now uh, where he's obviously not away, so he's got time to keep working on his sharpness. But as we all know, it's, it's all about games. It's all about that match fitness uh, is, is, is under pressure and it's mental as well as physical, getting used to the intensity of playing in the Premier League again. And he's been out since January. It's nine months. He hasn't kicked a ball in the Premier League. It's going to take him a little bit of time. Um, and there might be some more errors to come before he, he gets fully up to it. But you've either got to make the decision to play him and you've got to accept that that's going to happen. And the longer you don't play him, the worse that situation's going to be. Or you just go, well, we're not going to play him. And in that case, well, what was the point of even keeping him and having all this nonsense that we've had over the last uh, five months or so? I think a lot of fans... I've said Coutinho's stepping up, why can't Van Dijk? And Mares has given 100%, why can't Van Dijk? I think, as you say, you have to remember that both Coutinho, both Mares did a full pre-season before their, their incidents and their transfer requests. So they are 
a good seven, eight, nine months ahead of him, aren't they? So it, well, it, and they haven't had an injury that's kept them out for six months. I guess from a positive, at least he's back. He's got a couple of weeks to think about the areas of his game that he needs to work on. I, d- I don't doubt that he's got enough class about him to at least do the best for his teammates, even if he doesn't want to play for the club. You, you've got to think as a footballer, he will want to do what is best for his teammates and put in a good effort. So it's, it's good to hear that it was encouraging anyway. Well, when he's playing, he should want to do the best for his career as well. I mean, if his if his ambition really is you know, going to still be set, as we suspect, on getting out, uh, potentially in January, who knows? But at some point, probably January or the summer, there's going to be another concerted effort, you would imagine. Well, there's only going to be a concerted effort if he's playing well, isn't there? If he's not playing well, then maybe his, uh, his stock is going to fall. So yeah, it's in his best interest to get out there and play well as well as doing well for the club. So you know, you think he would be thinking that too. Absolutely. Alongside Yoshida then, just before we move on to talk about some of the other constructive parts of the uh, the Stoke game, I guess is the nicest way of putting it. Was there anyone else that you felt was a, a 7 out of 10 or above? Well, I thought Forster did well again. Yep. I thought Fraser Forster did well. He made several uh, excellent saves. He was fairly commanding, I thought, yesterday. There's a real... There's real signs that his confidence is growing. We did mention it. I said I, I sort of sensed it a couple of weeks ago, and I could, you can really see it now. He's getting that a bit of belief back. He's a, he seems a bit more all-round uh, solid. He even had a, one very difficult back pass to deal with yesterday that he dealt with you know, fairly, uh, made it look fairly routine actually in the end. It's it's good. It's good for him. It's good for Saints that that he's getting back to that and. Long may that continue, because uh, I don't think anybody doubts that he's a good goalkeeper. He's just going through a rough trot. Um, so if he can get on a bit of a roll, then that would be massive for the team. And it wasn't just about the penalty save. Uh, obviously, that played a part. But it was just his all-round game seemed a lot better. So that was a positive for me. Uh, I thought Tadic had another decent game as well. I actually think, I know he's getting a bit of flack in some quarters, but I actually think he's not doing a bad job. Yes, you would probably like a little bit more of the inspirational side from him. But it actually, I, I, I do think maybe he's being a little bit limited because he actually is, when you look at it, he's actually working pretty hard in terms of his defensive side of his game and putting quite a bit in there. Uh, so I, I, I thought he did well again. So um, And Romeo as well. Romeo uh, had, a, had a reasonable game yesterday, I thought, too. So there were some positives in there um, through, you know, in, in terms of individual performances. I had on my notes here an Einstein quote that I wanted to read to you. Um, So get ready for it. Am I going to understand (laughs) this? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, but expecting different results. We've played 4-2-3-1 for a long time now, Adam. You've mentioned the formation already. Saints fans are a knowledgeable bunch, and I don't want to turn this podcast, you don't want to turn this podcast into a, a negative moan fest. But likewise, I think we need to talk about the problems, and there's clear problems, and there has been for a long time. The, the formation, you, you've mentioned before, and I know other journalists have, that Maurizio Pellegrino clearly says that generally football teams will only play two up front if they're in control of a game, or it's easier to play two up front if they're in control of a game. You don't tend to play two when you're, you're chasing a game. Yet, he doesn't seem to, to me to really practice what he preaches, because whenever we seem to be chasing a game, we suddenly go two up front. and straight away we, we seem to play a lot better. Quite often, you know, you look at Swansea and you look at, um, at Huddersfield and you look at Manchester United and you look at yesterday, we play so much better when we are two up front. The, the formation is something that is really starting to make fans bang their heads against the wall, myself included, because 
we just seem to be doing the same thing over and over again. So surely, and I know we talk about it every week, but surely there's going to come a point where they realise this is not working. Well, my sense is that that point is approaching now. Well, that's my that's my sense of, of what's happening. I think that a switch to three at the back could be a possibility in the not too distant future. I think I I obviously I don't know. I, I'm not party to it. I'm only you know giving you my theory based on uh, the the things that I hear and the people I speak to. I, I think it's a possibility that they could do that. I don't think it's something that they really are enthused about. Saints. I don't think it's something that Pellegrino massively wants to do. But at some point, you've got to change something. You can't just keep on going. The only question I would I would have about that in terms of whether Pellegrino is going to actually go for it or not is that after the game yesterday, uh, we obviously well, I asked him again about the, the trouble scoring goals and things like that. It's the sort of same old questions in a way. But he said again, I repeat, if we keep playing this way, i.e. the way they did against Stoke and Man United, we are going to win more games than we lose. And so there's a bit of me that wonders whether he is going to be stubborn and try and stick with it in the belief that it's going to come. And it, and it, it depends how you look at it, because his justification would probably be, as you mentioned earlier, we are creating lots of chances, we're just not scoring them. That's a personnel problem. That's a confidence issue. That's not a problem with creating chances. That's just a problem with sticking them between the posts. So just putting two strikers up, is that going to... Help? Are we going to create even more chances to miss, or are we not going to? Are we going to create less chances? If the chances weren't coming at all, uh, he would obviously have switched already, I think. But his justification is that there are chances the way that they're playing. They are making small baby steps of progress, which we've seen. They have been fleeting, I'll grant you, but there have been some baby steps of progress. And actually, if the problem is more of a mental one, a mental block, well. Does it matter how you put people out on the pitch? Is that actually going to solve the problem that they've got? As I say, I suspect that he might go for a change in formation because it might be that that he feels that that is just something that might help help them overcome that block on a very temporary basis. We saw Ronald Koeman do it to good effect when Saints were in a pretty dire run, actually, um, around the end of the year. And he went to three at the back and they got a win. And they've played three at the back for, I don't know, perhaps a few games. I can't remember exactly how many. And then once he kind of got that confidence back, he went back to the formation that they'd always been you know, comfortable in and playing in. And I wonder if that's something that, that Pellegrino might be tempted to give it a go. I wonder also, though, if there's perhaps a slight bit of hesitation in that if you try this and it doesn't work, well, where do you go from there? So at least he's, he's keeping an option open. I, I suspect that we could potentially see a change uh, after the international break. I just I just feel that if you were going to make that change, you're going to go for it, then then that's the right time to do it. And if you are personally not a huge fan of three at the back, not a massive fan myself, but if you actually analyse Saints' squad and go, well, where do they have strength? Obviously, they've got some very good centre-halves and you could field a very strong three. You've got two good wing-backs. You've still got three so you could be competitive in the midfield areas. You don't have to surrender the midfield areas if you play it well. And obviously they've got, uh, they're not going to have a problem finding two strikers. It'd just be a matter of which two they play. So I think if they're going to change formation, my suspicion is it will be to a, a, a effectively a three-five-two. But yeah, I guess 
for him, there's an awful lot of things to weigh up. Just uh, it's not it's not as simple as just doing it. I don't think when you're actually in charge, there's a lot of consequences you have to think about if you get it wrong. Fancy that Ronald Koeman in a dire run, shocker, eh? Well, there we go. Those are the days, weren't they? So, um, I, I guess the alternative to me, I was thinking about this today, is is this possession, you know, do we need to get a bit uglier? I mean, yesterday we had 71% of possession, and as you said earlier, that was big partly because of Stokes' tactics. But the fact is, it's, it's possession in sort of non-threatening areas. It's playing tippy-tappy sideway passes on the halfway line when you've got 10, 9 or 10 opposition players behind you. So I guess if he's not going to change the formation, maybe we need to get a little bit more, in inverted commas, ugly in the way we play if we're going to stick with this formation. By that, do you mean trying to go more direct, trying to like hit the ball up up to a front man uh, early? Yeah, I'm certainly not saying long ball football because I think we would all um, you know get frustrated with that quickly. But I guess it's just... There's possession, and again, you think back to Brendan Rodgers when he was manager of Liverpool and all this, well, we showed character and we had 70% possession and such like, but we, we have possession in, I mean, you said earlier, in such non-threatening areas because we're just passing it around on the halfway line and keeping it in, in somewhere where we're not going to hurt the opposition. So I guess for me, I'd rather have 30 40% possession and half the chances, but if we're getting it forward quicker and, and scoring more goals, then ultimately that's that's a lesser of two evils, isn't it, by, by a long long way? So direct football as opposed to long ball? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Why, why not try it if we're not going to change the formation? Who would you play out front if you were going to go direct? Because the problem I see is they don't really have a target, man. That's part of the problem. If you look at our three strikers, for me, there's only one that would be able to do that job, which is Charlie Austin. Bearing in mind, you've got Sam Gallagher, who's a big lad who's gone out on loan and obviously unproven in the Premier League. But I, I think it still goes back to what we discussed a few weeks ago. If you're going to stick with this formation, stick Austin up front, and then you either have Long playing off of him, whether it's from the hole, or you have Gabardini playing with him, whether it's off the hole or, or off the wing. So I think there's only, you know, if you're going to play that sort of football, the only person you've really got that can hold the ball up out of those three is Charlie Austin. Yeah, and then you, you obviously, I mean, I've spoken about Gabby Adini as well, potentially playing in the hole, which we haven't really seen. But I think that's the thing. The, the reason that they don't do it is because that they want that mobility from the main striker, that ability to run the channels or to spin in behind all the time. That's what they're trying to get. I guess we know you can get it if you have a front man who does hold the ball up and you have somebody breaking from deep to get beyond them. And it, that is another option. It is another way to play. I mean, they this is a frustration, isn't it? I think we all feel it watching Saints. Is that the, you can see teams retreat, 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 give Saints the ball. But what's the point of possession if you don't do anything with it? I mean, I do completely agree with that. I think that too often when the Saints get into the final third, it's so ponderous. It's sideways, it's sideways. And that, that I mean, that's if you're a defender, that's exactly what you want, isn't it? That is exactly what you're after. And even yesterday, I, I thought, they could get the ball out wide a bit quicker. Stoke was still sticking to their formation, albeit with a lot of men behind the ball. So they were surrendering some space on the wings as well. That that was a fruitful area, but the Saints just didn't get the ball out there enough, often enough. And it is frustrating when you're... It must be incredibly frustrating for them facing all these teams that are going to put a lot of men behind the ball, make themselves hard to break down. But I agree, they've got to find a way of doing it. I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean... Why not give it a go? At the end of the day, you can't do any worse than not scoring goals, can you? I mean, that's that's as, that's literally as bad as you can do. And, and that's kind of the, the hole they're in. So, I mean, I'm all for him trying to experiment a little bit, I think, and, and trying to change things up to a certain extent. I would just question whether he has all the 
the right people to change things in in the kind of manner that I think a lot of fans want and the manner in a, a lot of fans want them to play. I'm not sure they've got all the players they need to play in that way. And I think that that is, for me, probably still, as I've alluded to, the biggest issue that they've got at the club. Not to say they haven't got good players. They've got some really good players. Not to say they haven't got a good squad. They've got a really good squad. And not to say they haven't got a committed squad of players who try very hard, because I believe they have that as well. But, as I've said before, it's about having the right blend, having the right ingredients. If you were making a recipe, you'd want to have the right ingredients, wouldn't you? And, and do they are they missing just one or two ingredients into that squad that would make the difference? For me, I, I think I think that they were a little bit last year. I don't think that they've addressed all those problems in the transfer market, not for me anyway. And I think those problems have continued. And ultimately, I think if you bore down into it, in my opinion, that is the biggest problem. It's not the, the formation, the style, the tactics. It's kind of just tinkering around the edges to a certain extent of, for me, what is the bigger issue here. It's, it is. It's someone to stick the ball in the net, isn't it? It's a Chikorito or someone like that. Again, I'm, you know, when you see how much money he was getting at West Ham, he's he's not someone that we should be paying that sort of money to. But it's that type of player they're, they're missing. And, and some pace. Some pace out wide. They need width. That's the thing. They, they need some more width. Uh, I know my colleague Pete did an interview with Cedric uh, last week where he spoke about that. And he said some interesting things, I thought, about how he feels he needs to provide more from those areas, which I'd agree with because he is an attacking right back. And obviously he hasn't scored a single goal since he's been at Saints. And I mean, I, I think one or two assists, which is clearly not enough for an attacking uh, right back. But him and Ryan Bertrand are really trying to get from deep, are sort of Saints' width, really. And Talich is always going to come inside. That's his game. You've then got a player in the 10 role. And you've got Redmond, who is the one player who has obviously been bought to provide that with. But for me, he's just not doing it enough. He's just not going. He's he's the one player they've got who can run at people with the ball, who can go around the outside. I would want him doing a lot more of that rather than trying to cut in and shoot all the time. I appreciate that they want to cut in, they want to get shots in on goal, but he's not a prolific goal scorer. I would rather see him be trying to be used as a more creative outlet. And, and to try and use him to get around the outside. Because, to be honest with you, maybe that's not even his natural game. But there's nobody else who can play that game, as far as I can see. I can't, I can't see anybody there who has that type of game. And that's something, obviously, they have with Mane that just hasn't been replaced. Likewise, a bigger man up front, Appella, that just hasn't quite been replaced. And I think that that's really, but above all, probably the issues that they're facing at the moment. Nathan Redmond, though, he's, he's certainly good for one thing, and that is um, sexy skills on the social media channel. I mean, um, certainly there's a few of those each week. So that's one part of the game that he's doing well in is at least being able to show off in training, which is good. So I, I guess the other point I was going to make, Adam, is that the more we stick with this formation, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but the more we play with this formation, t teams have worked out how to play against us. That's, that's the other issue. They know what we're going to do. They know how to stop us. They watch the videos. It's the same every week. So unless he does change something... I, I just feel that we're we're just running into a wall almost because teams know how to, to stop us. As you said there, Stoke came out with a game plan yesterday to sit back because 99 times out of 100, we don't break teams down. So I think that's the other 
positive I would say about changing it is why not? Why not change it? Because Newcastle are going to rock up to St Mary's. They're going to expect us to pay 4-2-3-1. They're going to expect to, to try and stop Cedric or, or Redmond or Tadic or whatever. They're going to have a game plan. If he suddenly comes out with a, a 3-2-4-1 or a 3-4-3 or whatever, they're not going to know what to do. Suddenly their game plan's totally changed at 3 o'clock. So it's, it's got to be worth a go, hasn't it? One way or another. As I said before, I think that we're getting to the point now where he probably is going to have to do something. I don't think just sticking with it, sticking with it is fine for a while, but at a certain point you have to say it's not really a viable option anymore. Whether we have exactly reached that point yet, well, obviously that's something he's going to be mulling over the manager over the next couple of weeks, but we really can't be very far from it. I don't want to, to sound like I am worried, but I think as a, as a fan base, obviously we can see that the club is, is you know, stagnating a little bit in terms of the way we are playing. Uh, bearing, bearing in mind, in inverted commas, this is the easy part of our fixture list. We haven't even got into the, the tough games yet, which are around the corner after the sort of Brighton-Burnley game. Uh, at what point do you think we should start worrying about form? Because at the moment, I appreciate it's early days, but we're going down the table rather than up the tables. So is it still early in terms of Pellegrino and, and sort of we've spoken before about 10 games and seeing where we are and that sort of thing and he's still getting to know his team or, or do you think there's a little bit more to it now? I just think in modern football obviously everything is is short term everything is results now and Pellegrino knows that he knows that's the life that he's in I still think we, we need to have a certain amount of patience I mean what I've written it, trying to be considered about it is that you can't ignore the results and it is a results based business two wins in eight this season in all competitions is below what you would hope for and expect given that aside from Man United they haven't really played anybody yet of any note so it's not been a great start and the goal scoring problems continue so you can't say that it's been exactly a dream start and we all know that the season is going to get a lot tougher in terms of the teams that Saints have to play as the season progresses because they have had this relatively nice start for me this is now a season-defining period that we're about to enter into. Newcastle, West Brom, Brighton, Burnley, three of those games at home between the next two international breaks. So so after this one, but before the next one. After that, it gets really hard because they've got to play all the big teams. They've got a lot of away games as well. Uh, there's going to be hard to accumulate that many points after this, this period for a little while. So this... For me, these four games now coming up after this international break, this is season-defining stuff now. You can have your getting your feet under the table uh, period and you can write off a few of those results and say, OK, fair enough. But now it is a point where they really, really, if, if they have any ambition to do anything other than be bang average mid-table, uh, what is going to be an incredibly uninspiring season, I suspect, if they, if they go down that route. They've got to get some points. I mean, they probably need to get nine or ten points from these four games if they're going to really make any kind of a fist of trying to have any hope of having a go at seventh or something like that, which, as we spoke about with Everton's form, looks like it's open. It looks like it's there for the taking. Somebody, Saints or somebody in the ilk of Watford or Newcastle or, I don't know, a team of that of that type, West Brom, are going to, might end up finishing seventh this year if Everton don't sort of get their act together fairly quickly. And so you would say, well, why, why shouldn't Saints consider 
that they can finish above Watford or West Brom or Newcastle. There's absolutely no reason to, to consider that they shouldn't, especially as they have been in those positions the last three years. But they need some points now when they've got these uh, eminently winnable games because they've let too many of them slip already, really, that they're in, they're in a position where they can't afford to really let many more slip. So uh, I think in terms of Pellegrino, people judging Pellegrino, I still think it's a little bit early because though you have to be aware of the context that you're in as a manager when you come into a new club, he is kind of, uh, unfortunately for him, he hasn't managed to really change things that much from what we saw last season. But what happened last season and the frustrations that people had at the end of last season, that's that hangover has kind of continued in, but that's not his fault. It's not his fault that they didn't score a goal at home for two months at the end of last season. It's not his fault that last year after the cup final, the season just died a death and everybody lost, seemed to lose interest in it. That's not his fault. But that negativity, in a sense, carries into the new season. Uh, and when then there's a bit more frustration, he's actually being judged on some of the things that were probably nothing to do with him because people have this long-standing frustration now, or ever-growing frustration, uh, that he and he hasn't been able to turn it around. So I think to judge him is is harsh and it's very very early. You can make constructive criticism. I think that's fine. But to come up with too much of a judgment, especially when it's not it's not been brilliant, but it's not it's not a disaster. It's not Crystal Palace or anything like that. It's it's not that bad. Is harsh. But as I wrote, I think it's fair now to say he's had a little while. He's got his feet under the table. He's had a period of games. Now's the time we want to see progress. Even if you're not seeing exactly the results that you want, you know what? If there's pro, if there's clear progress and you can see, okay, I can see where he's getting to. Okay, I can see that this is this is going to be all right. There's just, you know, it's just going to take a bit of time. I think people will accept that. I think what people are struggling to accept is that feeling that it's more of the same. And so I think these four games coming up now uh, after the break, I think they're really, really quite crucial matches in the context of the season. Newcastle at home then, Adam, after the international break. We probably answered this already in the pod, but do you feel it's a must-win game? I don't like the must-win tag because I, I always have this attitude of, well... There's a lot of must-win games, and teams don't win them, and what happens? Well, it's not, not really the end of the world, is it? And after seven league matches, that would be eight league matches. It's also not not exactly the the end of the world for Saints. They're not going to suddenly not exist if they don't beat Newcastle. But in the context of the season, I think it's a re- it is a really important game. They, I mean, they need, for me, uh, Newcastle at home, West Brom at home, Brighton away, Burnley at home. I think to have real hope that this season could be something more than just very, very average. They really need, I would say, probably 10 points. So that would be an unbeaten run and probably winning the home games, in truth. Uh, maybe taking a point away at Brighton or, or you know, maybe a, a draw against West Brom and a win at Brighton. Whatever. I think they're going to need really that kind of number of points to, to get themselves into a position that when they then play the bigger teams that they have the freedom that they're going to lose one or two of those games and then hopefully they'll win uh, a game or two against the bigger clubs at some point as well. So it is really important, but it's also important uh, the Newcastle game in isolation in that 
I think people's patience is beginning to wear a little bit thin uh, with uh, the lack of goals and, and the results and so on and so forth. And so coming straight back after a break and a couple of weeks off, I imagine there'll be quite a lot of energy, quite a lot of people trying to really get behind Saints and lift them and sensing that this is the time to really come on. Come on now, lads. This is, this is the time to really get going and kickstart this season and kickstart under this new manager. And if it doesn't happen and it's a total damn squib and it's a really you know, disappointing draw or even worse, but, you know, let's say it's a, a bit of a flat wall draw or something like that, then actually that sets a really bad tone for then that crucial period of games. And, and then you kind of almost get into this self-fulfilling prophecy where you kind of continue along this route uh, for, for, for a little while until you find a way to break out of it. And so for me, it's a big game, but yeah, Newcastle, Newcastle are doing quite well and they've got a good manager in Benitez. It'll be very interesting in the preview because uh, Pellegrino absolutely loves Benitez and, and they're very, very uh, good friends. Uh, Benitez, he's worked under Benitez a lot, both as a player and uh, as an assistant manager and coach. He's learned, says he learned an awful lot from Benitez as well. So it'll be very interesting to see whether Benitez feels like he can master what Pellegrino has to offer or whether Pellegrino as we said, maybe can pull out a surprise and, and outwit him. So it's an interesting fixture on a, quite a number of levels. But though I don't think it's must win, I, I do think it's really a very, very important game in the context of the season, even though it feels very early to be saying that. Newcastle have made a good start to the season, you're right, and they've obviously battled hard to get a good draw against Liverpool over the weekend. In terms of them, what threats do you see... I think the one thing that you have to say about Newcastle, but into forgetting individuals just for a moment, is that actually they've they've done very well collectively. I think Rafa's done done a good job there in terms of actually pulling together a group of players who actually actually seem to want to work for each other. They want to fight for each other, and we know what Newcastle's been like down the years traditionally. They haven't always had that, have they? There's been a lot of. Uh, there's been an awful lot of individuals in the team. There's been all you know numerous splits in the ranks. There's been all kinds of things that have gone gone down there. They're that, that sort of club that they always seem to have a drama and a crisis. And I think one of the good things about them at the moment is that they actually have seem to have a togetherness and a, a real sense of unity and a sense of purpose. And I've spoken in previous weeks about where the Saints perhaps have lost a little bit of that, having had it for so long whether they perhaps lost a little bit as kind of the reality that they are fighting in a mid-table bracket and it's going to be very hard to get out of that for them and, and fight any higher without significant financial investment has kind of began to, to take hold and people have realised it's a reality. In terms of individuals, they've also got quite a few players. I mean, I've, uh, despite his, um, his somewhat erratic temper at times, I've always really been a, quite a good big fan of John Joe Shelby and... I th seem to remember him playing against Saints for Cholton, I, I think, when he was about 17. And, and he literally only just come on the scene. And I spoke to the local reporter who covered Cholton. And he said, oh, the, just before the game, and he said, oh, this is kids, John Joe Shelby, who's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and we turned up there. and I th it, was, it was lower leagues, obviously, at that point. It wasn't Premier League. And blimey, Riley, this kid's good. And I think partly because of what seems to percolate in his head at times, he hasn't perhaps fulfilled 
quite the potential that he's had. But every time I see him, I always, if he's not doing something crazy like getting sent off for, for some moment of madness, I'm always really impressed by him. And I think he's a real threat and somebody who can who can really run a midfield very well. And that will be interesting to see how Saints deal with that if he plays in a more attacking manner. He might not. He might well play a, a deeper role. But Saints also, obviously they've got Perez as well, Newcastle. And Saints really struggled to deal with uh, Shakiri against Stoke, which I was surprised about. Because, yes, he gets in. He's very clever. He's a very good player. And he gets in between the lines. But you kind of feel that in Romeo and Lamina, they have the players to snuff out that kind of talent that gets in those holes but they, they really struggle genuinely struggle to deal with him in a way that they probably haven't struggled as much against an individual in that kind of attacking role that's not a striker this season and so you kind of worry about whether Newcastle or anybody else for that matter could, will play other players in that position having seen Saints struggle albeit Shakiri's an exceptional talent so it'll be interesting to see They've, uh, but for me I think their togetherness as a unit at this point in time is probably their greatest strength. You mentioned earlier of Tadic playing quite well at Stoke. Buffel looked, I thought, quite impressive when he came on and, and, and certainly gave them a bit of a spark. Redmond's obviously been a bit frustrating and a bit disappointing this season. So we speak about this most weeks. Manager Leach going into the Newcastle game. What would you do in terms of setting up against Newcastle and um, playing lineup? I think I would, I would make a change now, actually. I think I would probably uh, change formation personally I think it, I think it's time I think they need to do something different what do I think they will do I suspect they will either stick with the formation that they've got and just kind of hope that it's going to come or they will go three five two well I, I would like to see two I think two up front I think it's the time to get a second striker in I don't say that you have to play as a flat two but I think that to I, I think that they need to get that second striker in or if they're going to insist on sticking with this formation, I think they really have to get either Long or Gabbiadini into the number 10 role in the hole and appreciate that, that what that means. And that might mean having to sacrifice Redmond and sacrifice a little bit of the width out there to actually have maybe a Stephen Davis out there to give you a bit more cover to allow the two a lot more freedom. You've got Lamina and Romeo in there who you know are very reliable in front of the back four as well. I can't really understand the justification for not getting in another attacking player. So for me, that's that's what I do. It's difficult because I find it hard to say, oh, this is exactly what I do because I'm obviously with my position, I'm sort of half, because I'm speaking to them, I'm half second guessing what they're doing all the time as well, which is, which makes it, uh, which makes it difficult. My suspicion is it will be three, five, two. He'll go with uh, Wesley Hood, Virgil and Yoshida. We'll have the, the two wing-backs that you'd expect. He'll probably uh, keep with Long. Maybe maybe he'll fancy Gabbiatini as well in that formation. I mean, that would be a toss-up between the three of them with Austin as well. And then Romeo, Lamina and probably Stephen Davis. That does sound a bit out there, uh, I grant you. But I kind of think maybe he will feel it's time. If he's going to stick with the formation as it is, well, I probably would stick in Long maybe in a deeper role off of Gabbiadini or Gabbiadini in a deeper role off of Long or Austin and maybe just give themselves a bit more cover, take out Redmond and put in Davis and you've got Davis and Tadic, even though I know that's not where I would prefer to see Stephen Davis play. I think that 
that you've got to the point where you've got to get some more effective effectiveness through the middle and, and maybe just getting another player in there like that is the way to go. Come on, we've not got a prediction right this season. So no. from both of us, pressure's on now. Newcastle, we've got two weeks to prepare for it. Two weeks, I know there'll be a few players away on international duty. Have I got two weeks to prepare for my prediction? Is that what you, you're saying? You've got two two weeks to live with your prediction once you've made it. So, uh, <laughs> so what's your prediction for the Newcastle game then, Adam? Right, OK, I am going to be positive. I think it's important that they win. I think they know that. I'm sure they do. I'm sure Pellegrino knows that. And so, therefore... I am going to be positive. I think we're going to see a couple of goals as well, literally two. I'll go 2-1. Two, 2-1 two, one. Two, one Saints win to uh, get this season up and running, I think. I've gone through all three results so far. So I, I went for a win, I went for a loss, and then I thought, no, I'm going to be positive. So I've gone for a draw. And the only reason I've gone for a draw is because... New- you're, go- you're going to be positive, so you've gone for a draw. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I think Newcastle I think Newcastle are a good side. You, you said there they work really well as a team. We know they've got a really good manager who's going to work out what to, to do against us. But in, in terms of individual players I don't think they've got any real superstars so no, obviously this obviously this is going to come back to, to, to sort of kiss me on the backside yeah. in a couple of weeks time but um, I think when you look at it their record at St Mary's is abysmal as well so I'm, I'm taking all that into account I'm going to go for one all again so I, I do think we need to win it whether it's a must win or not I, I do feel that it's a game even if it was a 1-0 own goal I'd happily take that get three points on the board and move on but I think my prediction is um, one all. Well, fair enough. We, we will wait and see. I'm I'm glad, though, that we haven't gone for the same prediction this week because it does make it very boring. Absolutely. I, I, I did tinker with 2-1, but as soon as you said that, I thought, right, it's the draw. No, I'm going, I'm going positive, you thought. I'm going positive. Draw. <laughs> Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find all previous available pods on iTunes Store to download for free as well. We have a very special ninth episode coming up on the 6th of October, Friday the 6th of October. It will be released at 7 o'clock, talking about the very inspirational Saints Foundation with guests including Greg Baker, head of the Saints Foundation. So keep an eye out for that coming up on Friday the 6th of October. In the meantime, thanks again, Adam, for being on the podcast this week and enjoy yet another international break. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's lovely at this time of year, isn't it? You get, you get three games and you get a weekend off. I look forward to speaking to you after the Newcastle game. Fingers crossed for a win. In the meantime, thanks again for listening to the Total Saints podcast and keep marching in. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.